WTBN Pinellas Park, W262CP Bayonet Point. Brought to you by Moss Nissan. Moss portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Odyssey. The following program was pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Greediness is a part of their lives. Interpersonal conflicts, they don't get along with people, they're angry, they're bitter, all that kind of stuff. And, And why is that? Because they are not responsive to the Word of God. They really do not understand the Word of God in the sense, not just intellectual understanding, but they have not received it. And they don't really comprehend it. Uh, These are people who listen to sermon after sermon after sermon, week by week, and yet you see no change in their lives. Have you ever wondered about that? Pastors study and study, preparing their sermons, and then preaching them is hard work, too. But all too often, with all too many people, nothing seems to stick. Seems like most of the congregation tends to forget what was said by their pastor before they even leave the building. And hardly anyone actually takes to heart the challenge that their pastor gives. Seems like they go home and check the box on their list that says, went to church, and then they go about their lives unaffected by anything their pastor said. And the next Sunday, they do it all again. Why is that? And how can you and I keep from falling into that pattern or get out of it? Today on Verse by Verse, we'll get some good biblical advice on understanding your pastor's sermon as Pastor Steve Kreloff continues his series from Nehemiah chapter 8. It's about the characteristics of biblical revival. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Now, I don't want to steal Pastor Steve's thunder, but let me just offer a few tips to help you understand this sermon, okay? Number one, be ready to let God change your life. Second, look for Pastor Steve's main point. And third, check out what he says to make sure that it's true. It is, I've already checked, but don't take my word for it. Check it for yourself, okay? Here's Pastor Steve. Let's turn our Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8, a very um, pivotal chapter in the book of Nehemiah. And uh, I'd like to begin by reading verses 1, and we'll take it to about verse 12. And all the people gathered as one man at the square, which was in front of the water gate, and they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. Then Ezra the priest brought the law law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it before the square which was in front of the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of men and women, those who could understand, and all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood at a wooden podium which they had made for the purpose, and beside him stood, and I'll let you read those names on your own. (laughs) Verse 5, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra uh, blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. Then they bowed low and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground, and also... And I'll let you read those names too. But right at the end it says, These men who were Levites explained the law to the people while the people remained in their place. And they read from the book, from the law of God, translating to give the sense that they understood the reading. 
Then, then Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go, eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went away to eat, to drink, to send portions, and to celebrate a great festival, because they understood the words which had been made known to them. As we read this chapter, at least part of this chapter this morning, there is a key word that ought to jump out at you. A word that you uh, keep reading about in this chapter, and have you noticed it? It is the word understand or understood. Notice how often it's mentioned. It's mentioned in verse 2. It says that Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men, women, and all who could listen with understanding. Verse 3 says the same thing. In verse 8, we read about the same thing. They read from the book, from the law of God, translating to give the sense so that they, what? Understood the reading of it. Uh, verse 12 says basically the same thing. All the people went away and to eat, to drink, to send portions, to celebrate a great uh, festival because they understood the words which had been made known to them. Also, verse 13, which we didn't read, says that the people had insight into the word of God, which basically means the same thing. They understood it. Now, uh, chapter 8, in context, the book of Nehemiah is this. As Nehemiah now is turning his attention away from rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem, because that had been finished. That had been finished. Now he turns his attention to rebuilding the people of Jerusalem who were within those walls. Wants to reestablish the city, wants to populate it, but those who are in those walls, in in the holy city, um, need to be rebuilt. And his first concern in rebuilding the people is for them to have an understanding of the word of God. That's what chapter 8 is really about. They listened to the word, they understood the word, and therefore they implemented what they understood about the word. Now, why is it important to understand the word of God? Because only when God's people understand his word will they obey him and live lives that are pleasing to the Lord. And that's what life is all about. It's really the bottom line of all bottom lines. Is my life pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the Jewish people of Nehemiah's day had not only neglected the word of God. We understand that they had neglected the word of God. But as a result of their neglect of the the word of God, they were living in a shameful way. They were living in an immoral way. They were living in such a way that dishonored the Lord. That's why, as we read this morning, when they understood the word, they wept. They didn't weep necessarily because they had a love for the word, though I think that may be the case at this point as they've repented. But they were weeping because having understood the word, they realized that they had violated the word of God. Now, let me just show you the depth of their violation of scripture. If you look back one book to Ezra, now Ezra is mentioned in chapter 8 here, but there's a whole book previous to the book of Nehemiah named after Ezra. And in Ezra chapter 9, I just want you to see what their neglect of the word of God had done to them in their lives and where, where they were coming from. Chapter 9, beginning at verse 1. Now, when these things had been completed, the princes approached me, Ezra is saying, saying, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the people of the lands according to their abominations, those of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, 
the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, the Amorites. You understand what he's saying? They're not separated. They're not separated. They're living like these people. For they have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and for their sons so that, they, so that the holy race has intermingled with the peoples of the lands. Indeed, the hands of the princes and the rulers have been foremost in this unfaithfulness. In other words, they've intermarried. God's holy people have violated the word of God and they've intermarried with unbelievers and not just unbelievers, but the Canaanites, which they were told, by the way, to kill all of them, not to intermarry with them. And when I heard about this matter, Ezra said, I tore my garments and my robe and pulled some of the hair from my head and my beard and sat down appalled. Ezra says he was appalled. Then everyone who trembled at the words of, of the God of Israel on account of the unfaithfulness of the exiles gathered to me and I sat appalled until evening, until the evening offering. You understand, he just sat. He, he was so dumbfounded. He was so shocked by this. He was so uh, embarrassed by this that he just sat. He just sat there. But at the evening offering, I arose from my humiliation, even with my uh, garment and my robe torn, and I fell on my knees. I stretched out my hands to the Lord my God, and I said, Oh my God, I am ashamed and embarrassed to lift up my face to thee, my God, for our iniquities have risen above our heads and our guilt has grown even to the heavens. I mean, that, that ought to give you a feel and a flavor for the depth of their depravity that Ezra sat for hours just silent, couldn't say a word. He was in shock, ripped his garments, which showed grief, tore out his beard, which I'm sure hurt greatly, and uh, sat there in shock and then said, God, I'm, I'm embarrassed to even speak to you. That's, uh, that was just a few, few years earlier uh, to where we are in the book of Nehemiah, but it's the same, the same situation, the same situation. You know, the situation today really isn't a whole lot different. It really isn't. Uh, maybe we don't react the way Ezra did, and that's uh, to our detriment. We, we ought to. But the situation isn't really much different amongst God's people. There tends to be a lack of responsiveness on the part of God's people to the word of God. There are Christians today, professing Christians in evangelical churches who live like non-Christians. In other words, if they didn't tell you they were Christians, you'd never guess it by their behavior. They're immoral. They have horrible marital conflicts. Not normal struggles, but horrible marital conflicts. Pornography is a part of their lives. Greediness is a part of their lives. Interpersonal conflicts. They don't get along with people. They're angry. They're bitter, all of that kind of stuff. And, and why is that? Because they are not responsive to the word of God. They really do not understand the word of God in the sense, not just intellectual understanding, but they have not received it. And they don't really comprehend it. Uh, these are people who listen to sermon after sermon after sermon, week by week, and yet you see no change in their lives. Have you ever wondered about that? That's a very strange phenomena. A very strange phenomena that in evangelical circles, there are people who listen to sermons and the sermons never impact their lives. They really don't receive it. They really don't even understand it. There is a weakness in understanding the word of God. I have a pastor friend who recently said to me that um, uh, one day in his church, he had a guest speaker and uh, the, the speaker gave the message, and at the end of the message, he was in the back greeting, to, greeting the people, and this uh, little old woman came up to him, shook his hand, came up to the pastor, and said, Pastor, that was a wonderful sermon, thank you. He didn't speak. You understand? That's called reflex. 
She'd been doing that for years. He wasn't the speaker. Didn't matter to her. It really didn't matter to her that somebody else spoke. He gave a wonderful message. Why? Because she had been saying that for years and years. And um, that, that is sort of the plight that we face. It's uh, what do people really get out of church? And I'm, I'm not talking about liberal churches. I'm talking about Bible-believing churches. It it's, reminds me of a story that I read about a typical American family driving home from church one day. And this story really reveals how little people tend to get out of church, and especially the sermon. The father was complaining about the sermon being too long, and he said it was boring. The mother criticized the organist for playing too loud during the second hymn. The daughter said that the, uh, the soloist sang about a half note off key during most of her song, and the grandmother chimed in. She complained that she couldn't hear very well. Well, as they pulled into their driveway, the young son, who had been listening to all this, taking in all these complaints, he had one of his own. He complained about the woman who sat in front of him with a big hat blocking his view. But then he paused, and he, and he said these, these words. He nudged his dad and said, but dad you got to admit it was a pretty good show for a nickel. (laughs) And you know what? I think there are a lot of Christians who think that way. They look at church as a pretty good show for their money. Maybe not even a nickel. Maybe a little more, but a pretty good show for their money, and that's, that's about it. But not a place to really hear the Word of God apply it to our lives, implement these changes, and uh, be pleasing to the Lord. Well, this morning, I want to do something different. I'm going to use Nehemiah, uh, explain verses uh, 7 and 8, and then use it as a springboard as as to how we can understand sermons. How we can understand sermons. You know, um, those of us who have been to Bible college or seminary concentrate on uh, how we can best communicate the Word of God. You have preaching classes, they call it homiletics. You, you work on um, not only how to understand the Word, but how to pull out a message from the Word of God, put it together in an orderly form, and communicate it so that people know what you're talking about. But never have I heard at any time in seminary or in Bible college anybody speak about how to help their people to understand what they're saying. Now, there are a lot of books written about how to interpret the Bible, and you, you can read those on, on your own. There are some great books on just very helpful, practical principles on interpreting the Bible. It's called hermeneutics, is the, is the big word for principles, most of which is common sense, on how to interpret the Bible. So you can study on your own. But rarely have I ever heard anybody address how you as a congregation listening to me as a pastor can get the most out of the sermon. Now, last time we looked at listening to the Word of God, and we said that minimize your distractions, come with with an open heart, take notes, and don't take everything down, or you're going to just have a file full of notes, and you're going to miss the point. But we said some of that. Well, this morning, we want to look, we want to take it a step further on, now that you know how to listen to the Word of God, what do you do as far as taking it a step beyond that and understanding the Word of God? Because listening is one thing, comprehending is another thing. And that's very important for us. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you could understand a sermon? If you could comprehend a sermon? Wouldn't you like to leave church every Sunday grasping what the, what the passage of Scripture really meant and having a plan as to what to do that week to implement what God has said. That's the norm. That's what it's supposed to be. You're not supposed to go home and forget about it. 
You're supposed to be different week by week. That's what growth is about. And yet I know that, uh, that some do not do that. I remember one time uh, after church, a number of years ago, Michelle and I were invited to somebody's house, and uh, the woman said, uh, Steve, that was, that was really a great message. Thank you so much. And I thought I'd have a little fun. I said, what was it about? And she turned red, and she said, I don't remember. Now, I'm telling you, it was like an hour after the message. Uh, it's not supposed to be like that. I've also had the experience... Of, uh, of teaching, going over, taking the time to explain something, and having uh, folks come up to me after the service and ask a question that was exactly about the message that I just gave. The first time it happened, I thought they were kidding. They weren't kidding. I had spent a half hour on something, and uh, this person asked me exactly what I had spent a half hour on. I thought, is this a joke? Am I on candid camera? Is there something? Uh, no. No. So I understand that it's a real need to help a congregation to listen and understand the message. And that's what we want to look at this morning. So um, as you have your Bibles open, we're going to uh, just proceed. We said that if you want to have, this is what we said last time as we studied this, we're looking at the mechanics of, of grasping the message. If you want the Bible to have a lasting impact on your life, the first way to approach it, we said there are three ways to approach it. The first way is listen. You've got to listen. And that takes some work. That takes some work. I told you about the little boy at Lakeside Christian School who said to me, how do you know they're listening? And I said, I don't. They look at me like they are, but I don't. I really don't know. But God knows. And you cannot understand if you don't listen. So we listen with an attitude of expecting to hear God speak We come to church. Remember, the people of Nehemiah's day listened for about five or six hours. It says in verse 3 that from uh, the crack of dawn to midday, which would have been, uh, depending on when there was sunrise at that time of the year, would have been five or six hours. And it said that they stood for that time and they listened to the word of God. They had a great expectation that God speaks through his word. So they listened. The second way now to approach the Bible is to that when it has a lasting impact on you. That's what we're talking about. A lasting impact is to understand the word of God. Let's look at verse 7. And uh, Yeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatiah, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalita, Azariah, Jazabad, Hanan, Peliah and the Levites explained the law to the people while the people remained in their place. Now, what this verse reveals is that there were 13 men from the tribe of Levi. These were the Levites who helped the people that day to understand what Ezra was reading to them. That's really all this verse is saying. Ezra, it says, it translates in my, in my version, a podium, but we said literally it was a platform. He was on an elevated platform. He was reading the Torah, the, the five books of Moses, to the people from morning until mid-afternoon, maybe just concentrating on sections, maybe just concentrating on Deuteronomy. Uh, we're not told exactly. But then there were 13 Levites who helped him. Now, we're not told how they explain the word to the people. We're we're not told that. But most likely, it was like this. Most likely, they were stationed at different uh, points in the crowd. And as Ezra read from the various sections in the law, these Levites must have circulated amongst the people and explained the interpretation to them. Now, 
You may think this, this wasn't that difficult a task. It was very, very difficult, and let me explain why. It was a lot harder than it might appear at first. Notice verse 8. And they read, meaning I take it the Ezra and the Levites, they read from the book, from the law of God, translating to give the sense so that they understood the reading. So here you have these Levites who explained the word of God and translated it to the people. Now, doesn't that strike you a little, little odd? It says translating in my version, in the King James Version says distinctly. So it's the same thought. They translated in a distinct manner. They made it clear to the people. Now, why? Why would the Levites, these men, have to translate the scriptures to these people. After all, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. These are the Hebrews. Why would they need a translation? I'll tell you, because these people had returned from exile. These people had been in exile for 70 years. Some of them had, had uh, been born in exile, and they didn't know their mother tongue as well. Uh, they knew an, uh, there was another dialect that was similar to Hebrew, but not exact, and it's called Aramaic. Not Arabic, but Aramaic. Jesus spoke Aramaic in New Testament times. So the younger generation hadn't been exposed to much Hebrew in Babylon. Also, there was intermarriage, and they would have lost uh, a, a feel for the Hebrew tongue. And so um, they needed a translator. In fact, if you look at Nehemiah chapter 13... Towards the end of this book, you'll see that they really didn't know Hebrew that well. In chapter 13, verse 23, In those days, Nehemiah said, I saw also that the Jews had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. And uh, as for their children, half spoken the language of Ashdod, and none of them was able to speak the language of Judah. It means Hebrew, but the language of his own people. So you understand, that was the, that was the, the reason. They spoke either Aramaic or maybe uh, Babylonish um, tongue or something else, and they needed someone to translate to them the word of God. So, so here's the picture. Imagine it with me. Here's a crowd of thousands of Jewish people standing be, before Ezra. As you put together the previous chapter, chapter 7, especially verses 66 and 67, we estimate there had to be at least 50,000 people. So it's like a stadium on opening day. 50,000 people before Ezra. Ezra's above them on a wooden platform. As Ezra reads from the law of Moses, he then pauses. He reads a section, then he stops. The 13 Levites, these men who were stationed throughout the crowd, they begin to turn to, to sections of people and they ask the people around them, did you understand that? Did you understand what he just read? Do you need me to translate it and explain it? Yes, I don't understand this. Okay, then they translate the passage into Aramaic, and then they explain it to the people so they understand the meaning of the law. In other words, they translate the Bible, and at the same time, they convey the true meaning of the text. That's the picture. That's what's going on. And the result was, notice, Verse 8, the end, it says they, tr they were translating to give the sense so that what? They understood the reading. They understood it. That's the important thing that I want you to see. These people, the Jewish people, now understood it because they had it translated in the language they understood best, and they had it explained to them. Now, it brings us to a very, very interesting question. How come we as 20th century Bible-believing evangelicals don't understand the Bible like we should. How come? 
Comprehension is sometimes hard, and at other times, it's really hard. Ever listen to a sermon through a translator? Oh, they are really extra hard to absorb. i tell you, the hardest one for me was in French, and then it was translated into an African tribal language. There was no English translation, so obviously I didn't get anything out of that sermon. But when a sermon is in our own heart language, we ought to get something from it, right? Well, many times we don't. Pastor Steve Kreloff will have some tips for us on the next Verse by Verse. Thanks for tuning in. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Stop in some Sunday if you're looking for a place to worship. The address is 1893 Sunset Point Road. For service times, call 727-441-1714. Or you can go online to lakesidechapel.com. The number again is 727-441-1714. Hey, don't forget our library of previous broadcasts that's available on our website, versebyverseradio.org. And there's a giving page if you'd like to help with the cost of airing Verse by Verse. We're thankful for every giver and every gift because we can't do this without you. That's Verse